Well, if you have your Bible open at Galatians 2 and verse 20, or even to hold the simple phrase, I have been crucified with Christ. That's our phrase for the evening. I have been crucified with Christ. The Lord's Supper marks an event. It tells us something astonishing. And it calls us to live in a certain way. It's about remembering. It's about relishing. And it's about recommitting. So it's, it's perfect that this verse is about those things as well. Um, we're remembering. We're relishing. And we're recommitting as we look at this verse. Galatians 2.20 it's a wonderful verse uh, to commit to memory and pondering and turning over when you find yourself with a spare moment in a queue somewhere or you're hanging on the phone waiting uh, in one of those long automated lines. Take this verse, write it in a little card or memorize it so that uh, you can chew it over. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think you can see already the bit we're going to be going to at the Lord's table. Who loved me and gave himself for me. But we're starting this evening with this phrase, I have been crucified with Christ. This uh, this verse that we're looking at, uh, one writer says about it, it would be difficult to find any single verse containing more basic theology. Almost everything of final importance in Christian life and doctrine is found in it. Be difficult to find any single verse containing more basic theology, and the emphasis in the more more of it. Almost everything of final importance in Christian life and doctrine is found in it. What a verse to be looking at over our communion time, and we're taking this evening this phrase: "I have been crucified with Christ." And before we go further, we need to transport ourselves back in history because crucified and crucifixion is a common part of our vocabulary. The cross has become a symbol of, of hope, a symbol of help. Think of the first aid cross. It's become a positive symbol, but it was far from it in the first century. It was a shame-filled Word, And I've quoted before the great Roman thinker and politician Cicero. And he said, the very word cross, or crux, uh, C-R-U-X, uh, should be far removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes and ears. The very mention of it. That is unworthy of a Roman citizen and a free man. 
And even when someone was condemned to death by crucifixion, the sentence was, hang him on the unlucky tree. They didn't say on the cross. They didn't say crucify him. Um, Apparently the lower classes that people might have called the dregs of society would bandit around as a taunt, as an insult. The death by crucifixion was meant to be so shameful that it acted as a deterrent so that people wouldn't even want to be identified as a friend, an acquaintance, a follower of the crucified person. It was meant to strike fear and terror and shame and to put distance between um, people and anything that might bring you close to, to that, that. And here's Paul saying, I have been crucified with Christ. And he's going to use it several times in this letter. And this is one of the the early letters. And here's Paul, a man who had scorned the one on the middle cross. He thought the man on the middle cross was a liar and an imposter and a crook and who deserved the shame and the ignominy of crucifixion. Paul was saying, serves him right. And now Paul is saying, I follow him and I have been crucified with him. I identify with that one. I follow the crucified man. I identified with him so much that it is as if I was crucified too. Paul's at the opposite end of where Cicero is at. Paul's wanting to identify. He's, He's using the word. He's glorying in the word. So we need to ask, what happened at the cross to transform it from a thing of shame in Paul's mind into something that that Paul would take pride in, that Paul would want to identify. There's got to be something of such colossal magnitude because think about it. The crucifixion is a public relations disaster for Christianity in the first century. You know, you're, you're trying to bring followers along to your cause. Come and follow. Come and follow us. Come and follow our great leader, Jesus. What happened to him? Oh, he was crucified. No thanks. We're away. We're not having anything to do with crucified people or crucifixion. That was the whole point of it. But Paul is summoning people and boasting in the crucifixion. Something must have happened there that is of such colossal magnitude, such immensity, that Paul is willing to say such a thing. It's very, very hard to get a modern parallel. But imagine that at Auschwitz, amidst all of the evil, something had happened for such monumental good that someone might say, Auschwitz means the world to me. Wow. What could be so staggeringly good It would overturn all of the awfulness of Auschwitz. Well, the cross now means the world to Paul. And so what happened there? And there's four things for us to see. Two of them set the scene. And two of them are about what happened there. Two things that set the scene and two things that tell us what happened. The first thing to see is there's a penalty awaiting, a penalty awaiting. 
these first two things give us heaven's perspective on us. If we could imagine the angels and God looking down from above and seeing us. To understand Calvary, we need to understand there was a penalty awaiting. The penalty of sin. We need to understand sin. On one side we have a holy God and on the other side us. Psalm 40 verse 12 says, My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Psalm 38, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden. Think of Pilgrim's Progress. A burden too heavy to bear. We sang from Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? You know, as heaven looks down, there is, as it were, imagine, above each of our heads, a great column of smoke and stench. Remember the the day there was the fire at, at, at Watson's Tool Hire, and you could see the black billowing column of smoke rising above Letterkenny from miles away. The fire and convoy as well a few years ago, the same again. Imagine that God looking down, that's what he sees coming up from each one of us, this huge, black, foul, putrid, stinking column of smoke uh, that is our sin. And not simply sins, but sin. Sins are all the wrong things we do. But sin is the very attitude of our hearts. This, this column of smoke is not hovering above our heads. It's, it's billowing from our very souls. It's seeping out through every pore of our lives because we are sinners. It's that very rebellion that lies at the core of us when Satan whispered to Adam and Eve, you can be like God. And we have taken that idea And we have run with it. There's all our sins. And there's sin itself. The very act of treason that is in our being. Sins are the bullets we fire against God. But sin is the treason that sparks the rebellion. And heaven looking down sees it. Oh, what a predicament we're in. Our sin is again against an infinite God. And so that deserves an infinite punishment. A penalty not just for what we've done, but who we are. And when we come to the letter to the Romans, we read that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're told that we're under wrath. So not only is there this huge column of of sin piled up on us, so to speak. Not only is there the the sin within us that is producing it all, but there's God's attitude as he looks down and it's wrath. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. And we're under condemnation. Romans 3, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. We are under judgment and we are under sentence. And in Ephesians, uh, Paul tells us that we are 
by nature objects of wrath. What a frightening place. We're sinners by birth and we're sinners by our lifestyle. And there's all sorts of things aggravate our sin. Our knowledge, the more we know, those of us brought up in the church, those of us brought up with the Bible, those brought up with Christian parents, it makes our sin and our guilt worse. And there's a penalty hanging over us, an eternal and infinite penalty. But there's more. There's a penalty awaiting. That's the first thing. Now we're setting the scene for what our verse says. Secondly, there is a power controlling. A power controlling. Well, we don't often think about this. There's something else heaven sees when it looks down at us. Like an aerial view of the book of Exodus. The children of Israel in Egypt. There they are. And they're scampering around. And if you were in a drone high up above or in a plane looking down, you would see them all. And what are they doing? They're slaves. They're slaves. Uh, or maybe like flying over North Korea, if you could do such a thing. They're under a controlling power. And that was us. You see, sin is not just something we do. It's not just something we are. It is a power over us. Not just an internal power, but an external power. It has dominion over us. In Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Colossians 1, We were in the dominion of darkness. That's verse 13. Romans 3, verse 9. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Paul pictures sin as a pharaoh, as a tyrannical dictator. And he's not just a piece of, you know, imagery. He grasps that sin is this foreign power that is not just in us, but over us. Maybe that's part of Paul's thinking because that's what God had said to him in Acts 26. I am sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. In Romans 5 we read, Sin reigned. It reigned. Ruled. Romans 6, Paul speaks in verse 6 of the body ruled by sin. He says four times we are slaves to sin. He says in verse 12, it reigns in our bodies. He says it is our master in verse 14. Sin is a power that has us in its grip. We're enslaved to it. We are snared by the principalities and powers of this dark age. And as heaven looks down, it sees us, as it were, in the prison camp, the concentration camp of this world. And yes, we sin. But in our sinning, we are under the captivity of Pharaoh, sin, and his taskmasters, Satan and death. This is our predicament. And we live, as it were, 
under their beck and call. They don't care whether inside the prison camp we are good or bad, as long as we don't escape. We don't care how mankind lives, really, inside the confi- confinement of this concentration camp, as long as we don't get out, as long as we die under their rule. You know, Satan has deceived the world, and his kingdom has held many captive, and we were held prisoner too. We mightn't have grasped it. We may forget to think of others that way. We, we tend to think of people around us as they're just disobeying God. But they're also, they are, but they're also prisoners of war. Satan has taken them captive. And we live amongst a captured people. Might be a bit like, way to imagine it might be, you're on holidays in North Korea. But you're free. But the people around you aren't. That's who we were. Enslaved by the power of sin. Satan was our Pharaoh. The great serpent had us in his chains. So these are our twin problems. We were doing wrong and a penalty was awaiting. We were dominated by wrong. By a power controlling us. That's our problem. And into this environment steps a new king. A new king comes. And he proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn from you. There's a new king. So turn away from your sin. There's the two things. And believe the good news. And it all seems so good. And this new king demonstrates that he has the the power to break the chains of death and decay. His miracles show that he can defeat that which enslaves us. And then they killed him. They crucified him. And all seemed uh, to end in ignominy and shame. And Paul might have said at that moment, Christ's crucifixion served him right. But far from being the end, That was the solution to our problems. That moment, that crucifixion moment, it wasn't a shameful ending. It was a stunning victory that dealt with our problems. And this is why Paul now says, I've been crucified with Christ. He's not ashamed of this shame-filled word because something has taken that word filled with shame and filled it with triumph. So what happened? Brings us to our third point. A penalty, or the penalty, paid at the cross. The penalty paid at the cross. Our great problem was who we were and what we had done. And God steps in to be the solution. And he bore at the cross our sins in his body to the tree. The iniquities of us all were laid on him. And he who knew no sin was made sin for us. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The columns of smoke we might think of and the stench of our rebellion that were rising heavenwards in some great uh, mighty pyre of filth. Ah, There they culminated on him. Imagine them all as it were. 
all this, these assembled fires of filth and sin, burning and billowing out their filthy smoke, polluting heaven itself, as it were, and they're, they're gathered on him at the cross. You know, although it's not the reason the skies turn dark, but you can see, in a sense, the, the association. They culminate and accumulate on Jesus, and he is sentenced to death. He is sentenced to death. And he's actually found, or sentenced to death by the Jews because of blasphemy, and the Romans because of treason. And those seem a bit random. But actually they're perfect. Because what are you and I guilty of? Blasphemy and treason. So what Adam and Eve were guilty of. They thought they could be like God. That's blasphemy. And they tried to be like God. That's treason. And we've done that. And Christ, in being sentenced for blasphemy and treason, even the very charges are our charges. And he bears our sin in his body on the tree. And the sentence that hung over us, heaven's wrath, looking down at all of that accumulation of, of our sin on him, pours out all of its wrath on him. And he dies, not an ordinary death, but a judicial death on the cross. It's a judicial death on the cross. Paul quotes in Galatians, the verse from Deuteronomy 21, Cursed is anyone hung on a tree. That's what the law said. It was the, the penalty for treason and blasphemy and other capital offenses. God said, Cursed is anyone who is executed on a tree this way. It's the penalty for capital offenses. And Jesus takes it on the cross. He takes the curse and the penalty so that we wouldn't have to. And when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, he's saying, I've been sentenced and punished in Christ. It's as if I was there. When he was judged, it's as if I was judged. When he was sentenced to death for blasphemy and treason, it's as if I was sentenced to death for blasphemy and treason. It's as if I were there and my hell... It's as if he was stretched over me and my hell fell on his shoulders and the sentence was paid. And when he cried, finished, it was finished for me too. I've been crucified with Christ. It's fully paid, a penalty paid. Think of all that Paul had done to Christ's people. He had had them beaten, arrested, harassed, persecuted, imprisoned, tortured, possibly even killed. And now he hears that he's forgiven. I have been crucified with Christ. What a wonderful phrase. The psalmist says in Psalm 55, the price that ransomed me, he paid. The price that ransomed me, he paid. What lovely words. In Colossians 2, Paul writes in verse 13 and following, he says, He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Nothing left to pay. Cancelled the charges against us. 
Nothing left to pay. I know a man who got into gambling debts. He took out a loan from a loan shark. And the, the boys, not his boys, but the loan shark's boys, or men kept coming round to collect and frightened him. And he paid over the odds. And eventually the man's son took it in hand. And he went to the boss and he sat down and he made sure everything was paid. And he demanded a receipt marked that everything was paid, that it was settled. And then there were no more calls to the door. Well, for you and for me, in one fell swoop, heaven's problem has been cleared. And as we come to the Lord's table, we need to remember this. This is heaven's eye view of us. And there is clear air between us and heaven. The stench and the smoke has been cleared. A penalty has been paid. Do you grasp it? Do you grasp what Jesus had to do? Do you see why Paul glories in that moment? Because Paul, who would have thought, I'm going to have to give an account to God for the people of his that I had tortured and killed. He revels in the fact that God himself, whose people he killed, has paid for Paul's killing of God's people. What an amazing God we have. And then the, f- the second part of our problem and our fourth point, a power broken at the cross. A power broken at the cross. We were under sin's dark power. You were. I was. Romans 5, verse 6. Hear it now. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless. There's a power over us. In Romans 6, uh, Paul says, he speaks of the freedom that Christ brings. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The power has been broken. We've been set free. That passage in Colossians 2 that I quoted a moment ago from verse 13 and following speaks of having disarmed the powers and the authorities. You know, Jesus, as it were, strides into Pharaoh's prison camp and he takes the whip off the taskmaster and he takes the chains off the slaves and he takes the sword off Pharaoh. And he, he smashes them and he throws them aside. He says, come on out my people. That's what happened at the cross. Paul delights to boast. Because the cross is no longer a place of defeat. But it's a place of cosmic triumph. Where the forces of heaven met the forces of hell. And Satan was thrashed and smashed. And his power was broken. They did their worst against Christ. And they were spent. And Christ took on the serpent and struck a death blow. Again, we find it hard to grasp. We, Satan likes to maintain the illusion that we were always in control. That he's not really there. And part of that, I wonder, is... It's so that 
we don't grasp the seriousness of our predicament, but also so that we don't grasp the ignominy and shame of his defeat. The cross becomes a place of shame for Satan. He was defeated. He doesn't like to admit it. doesn't like to admit that he has lost control. So it's as if he pretends, I never really had it. You were always the ones who had it. But nonsense. We were like the children of Israel and Egypt. You see the, the malevolence of the guards, maybe at Dachau or Auschwitz. And then you see the great day of freedom arrives. And you see the people coming out. And they're hugging the liberators who've set them free because the power that held them has been broken. That's us. That's us. We need to grasp it as we sit at the Lord's table. Christ has done it. He set us free. The reins and the chains that controlled us and captured us have been severed. The great day of freedom has arrived. Two great freedoms are now ours. Freedom from the penalty and freedom from the power of sin. Only one thing was strong enough to break both. A crucifixion. And Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified. I'm part of that. I want to be part of the victory. And I'm part of it because I put my trust in him. In the ancient world, no one identifies with the cross, but Paul glories in this cross, the great moment of victory. And as we come to a close, there's two things I want us to note. Notice how intensely personal Paul's words are. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified. I, with all my guilt and all my sin, Christ's past is my past. My past is Christ's past. My guilt, my shame, my guilty record, it's his. His perfect record is mine. I've been crucified. He has paid. And the receipt is good. And when you come to the Lord's table, you are reminded that Christ has been crucified. And when you take part, you as it were are saying, I am I'm with him in his death. And when he paid, I paid. This means I'm not guilty. And if you can say I, I have been crucified with Christ. Heaven has no charge against you. And hell has no control over you. That's the first thing. It's intensely personal. And then it's completely finished. Completely finished. I have been crucified with Christ. The Greek tense means something that is done and stays done. One writer says, Paul is speaking of something that once took place and has not lost its power since. Christ's forgiveness isn't like rechargeable batteries that lose their power over time and get weaker and weaker as time goes on and until they can't uh, light a candle's worth of light in your torch. Christ's forgiveness isn't like that. It keeps on going and going and going and going. It it's, hasn't lost its power since. 
yes, I was guilty. We don't have to deny that. But the price has been paid, and yes, it was paid a long time ago in the past, but it's paid. A friend of mine got stopped going out of a shop. Uh, the security man uh, accused him of shoplifting, and he, and he went into a bit of a panic. And he thought, Did it, it was something that was an expensive piece of kit, and he's a minister. This is going to look terrible. I'm going to be in the news. I'm going to be in the papers. I'm going to bring shame on Christ. And then he remembered, hold on, I've got the receipt. And he took out the receipt. And he said, there's the receipt. And I said, oh, it's okay, on you go. We've got the receipt. The cross is the receipt. It says it's paid. And when Satan comes with his, his lies and his bluster and tries to accuse us of our guilt, we show him the receipt. The Lord's table is taking out the receipt. You know, you know, I found an old wallet the other day and there were receipts in it. Said that I'd paid for things. But that they were that I'll whatever sort of paper it is that goes white after time. And they actually showed nothing. They're no use for anything. Well, no, Christ's receipt is not like that. And we come to the Lord's table to be reminded there it is clear as day in front of you there's the receipt it's paid for you know part of our preparation is reminding ourselves what Christ has done for us sometimes in our preparation we're searching our hearts and spring cleaning our souls other times we are fixing our gaze on Christ and reminding ourselves he's done this he has done this I have been crucified with Christ heaven has nothing against me, and hell has no control over me. It's personal and it's complete. And so our main application is thankfulness. Thankfulness. Has guilt been bothering you? Say to yourself, I have been crucified with Christ. The penalty has been paid. Has sin been bothering you? Does it seem like a futile battle? will come to the Lord's table to be reminded that the controlling reins have been cut. And Jesus says to you, Sin shall not be your master. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Don't listen to it anymore. Take time to see this heaven's eye view. The cross has cleared the skies above you and cut the control lines below you. Because you have been crucified with Christ. Amen. If you're able, let's stand as we come to, to give thanks to God. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross, this place of ignominy and shame and mockery and ridicule that he stepped up to so that these two colossal events could take place, that that immense debt that we owed, that column of filth that was our record of sin could be cleared. And not just cleared from above us, but reaching right down into our hearts and, and removing the guilt that came right from the core of our being. But not just that, but severing the cords, the reins, the control lines 
that led off down into the pit of hell that Satan yanked like, like some inverted puppet and controlling us. He cut those cords and severed the chains that held us captive. And how we thank you for our Saviour Jesus. And we pray that we would say with Paul and, and grasp the freedom that it means and brings that I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Something monumental has happened in our lives. Help us to grasp it and to see it and to use it in our ongoing battle with Satan's accusations and our battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil where we forget that we don't have to sin but that we've been set free. Help us, O Lord, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.